if I could give anything away, like in all of my experimenting and, and testing and knowledge, if you can learn how to compress and extend and generate speed, your surfing will grow exponentially because speed is everything. And that has to do with your rails. Take your weight divided by six, and that will give you kind of like the volume um, an expert or pro level surfer would ride. Getting accustomed to that board and knowing all of its like little nuances, that's how you get good. All of us are after the right equipment, but in the end, it's hardly ever the board's fault that we're not progressing. All right. Welcome to the Basis Surf Podcast. We have Noel Salas from Surf and Show. Super psyched because he is pretty much, I don't know if anybody's tested as many boards as Noel has. And if you're buying a surfboard, you need to check out his show and watch a review on the board before you buy it because, I mean, it's kind of crazy. You're going to drop $800, $900 on a board that you don't even know if it works. Uh, and not all of you may surf like Noel, but it, it's going to give you some kind of feel for um, – you know, how the board might perform. And it's so interesting because I think the process of dialing in a surfboard is one of the most like difficult things to do, finding a board that, that really f suits you. And I, I figured who would be better to talk to about dialing in your boards than talking to Noel. Noel. So uh, thanks for joining us uh, and really excited to get into this with you. Thanks for having me, Van. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and um, love to help. That's, that's what we do. Awesome. All right. Well, we're, we're definitely going to get deep into dialing in boards and all that, but I just kind of wanted to start us off kind of from the beginning because everybody that watches your videos knows that you're an incredible surfer, you know, you're, you're absolutely ripping and people, I, I mean, me watching you, I'm, I would assume you, you used to be a pro. Um, so I just wanted to dig a little bit into kind of your background, how you got into surfing and, and, and all that and, and how you got where you are here. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Asked away. Cool. So how did you, uh, where, where did you get into surfing? Like how, when was it? You know, I was probably about nine, 10 years old. And, um, I have an uncle, uh, is, he's Hawaiian. His name's Derek. And, um, he took me out surfing. I was just kind of screwing around to whitewash him. My parents, you know, took us to the beach all the time. And we were always playing in the water, you know, body surfing, bodyboarding, super fun, but I had never surfed. And, uh, my uncle just took me out and told me to jump on the whitewash and ride him to the beach. So I, that's where I started and got hooked. I mean, it was just so fun. And um, once I started doing that, I never really looked back at, you know, all the other um, water craft options. I mean, sure, we would still bodyboard closeouts and body surf and stuff like that. But surfing pretty much captured my, my heart, you know, and I was like, man, this is so fun. And my dad had a hair salon down in the South Bay, Redondo Beach area. And um, I could walk two blocks to the beach, so I just started surfing every day. Nice. And um, get out of school in the wintertime and walk to the beach with my board and surf. And, yeah, South Bay doesn't have the greatest of waves all the time, but it had enough for me to paddle out and, and, and enjoy it. And then from there, we moved to San Diego when I was about 15 years old. And um, then we started surfing Oceanside Harbor, Oceanside Pier, some spots in Carlsbad and up and down San Diego. And then surfed a little bit on the surf team my senior year in high school. And then um, I was playing a lot of soccer and other sports in high school. And um, got hooked just on surfing. As soon as I could drive and get there every day by myself and nobody had to take me, it just turned into just something else for me where I had so much fun that I'm like, man, could, it, could I do this for a living or did I start too late? 
you know, like where I'm actually competing. Mm. You know what I mean? Regular Mesa. So that's kind of how it started. Um, you know, I've been surfing Oceanside. You'd run into pros all the time, and I ran into Mike Lambrizzi. I think he was a U.S. champ, like for three times or something like that. He saw a bit of talent in me, and he kind of took me under his wing and started coaching me a little bit, and that helped a ton, you know, just to work on rail game and get my fundamentals solid. Hmm. And then um, started competing when it was the Bud Tour. Oh, wow. So way back then. Yeah, yeah nice. Two, last two years of the Bud Tour before that fell apart. And when the Bud Tour stopped, I started doing the World Qualifying Series and uh, traveling and trying to get enough points to qualify. Oh, nice. And uh, that was fun. And it was a lot of fun. Question for you back yeah. then. What yeah, were boards? Yeah. Tell, tell us about boards back then and what it was like. They were awesome. <laughs> well, I'm blaming Kelly Slater 100% of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were, I, my, my stock dams were like 6.018, two and a quarter. I was 165 pounds. And, um, you know, there was no volume back, back in the day. There's no leaders. So, you know, what was the volume? I, I really don't have any idea. Um, it's funny when, when I think back to those, those boards and how hard they were to ride, um, they demanded a good rail game, you know, and I don't feel like my rail game, um, was as sharp as it is today, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, you know, because I didn't surf perfect point breaks all the time. I was surfing beach breaks and traveling all over the world, chasing qualifying points at some of the worst waves you've ever surfed. Like, yeah. One to two foot. It's awful oh. what they make you surfing, you know? And so you're riding these rockered out long boards. Nothing fits in the tight little pocket that's, you know, head high and below. And there's all, I look back now and like all kinds of problems with the boards I was riding. But I got a couple results, and I never put two and two together. Xanadu shaped me uh, like uh, kind of like a, a squash down to 510. And um, I got, I think it was quarterfinals in Japan at Chiba. And then I came home and did the, the um, what was it? The, I think it was the Caton Team Challenge. And I lost him the sem in the quarters. No, I lost in the semis there mm -hmm. against uh, Richie Collins. It was Richie Collins, Sonny Garcia, and Banyan Caps. Oh, wow. And um, I never put two and two together yeah. to go shorter. I just thought it was a magic board. And once, I, once that board was done, I went back to my stupid 6 0. Oh. So, you know, I, I wish I had um, put two and two together. I wish I had sat down with Xanadu with, uh, and, like, hey, this board's actually. Why is it working so good? And we probably would have started with the 510. Man, I wish I would have went to like 5.9 or 5.8, but that was so out of the question right. back in the day. That's so that's so that's interesting because I could see how that would give you such a tremendous advantage, especially in those small QS waves. Um, oh, you would look different. Yeah. Well, you'd, you'd probably be surfing way more radical. you just you just oh, turn yeah. quicker. You'd fit in the pocket. That's insane. And, you know, you yep. think about like back in the day, you had like – everybody riding single fins and then you have Mark Richards come on the scene with the twin fin and then he just blows everybody away just because of a change in equipment and like sheer speed. Yeah. And then directional changes and the probably rail engagement. It just looked completely different. Yeah. Wow. And you're saying it's your standard board was six Oh, 18 inches wide and two and a quarter. Like it, does anybody ride a board that's 18 inches wide anymore? Probably not. Bro. No. I don't even have a board that's six. <laughs> that would be a, that would be a mini step up for me. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, right. You know, though, there is something interesting because you watch footage from back then, and those boards just look sick, though, when they're, when, you know, you have it on the proper wave. That little extra length just looks so good, but does look kind of hard to uh, look a little I hard think to the only person that ever looked good on from my from my perspective was probably Kelly and Tom Kern. Tom would ride the really long boards and somehow he made them look good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Most of us are not like Tom Kern or any of these guys. Right. So. <laughs> That's insane. So you were competing on the QS, you know, you, you were struggling with these boards and then how did you get into the, the surfboard review game? I mean, you were like probably the first to do it. You know, I remember watching your clips from like, I don't even know how many years it's been at this point, but yeah, it's, it was, yeah. Well, what was that whole process like? Yeah. So I think it's been eight and a half years. I think I launched my first one July of 2015 and Chris Grove was doing the shred show at the time. Oh, right. Yeah. And Chris was super entertaining. The guy was like his edits. He kept it like super high pace energy, almost like spazzy, mm -hmm. but I was engaged. Like I watched him I'm like, this guy's kind of funny. Yeah. You know, it was, it was entertaining. I was learning about surfboards and I thought Chris did a great job, but Chris never went surfing right on the boards. Yeah. And so I thought, man, that's a huge, um, niche that could be, that could be like a full other level on a board review is how does it work? Tell us not just the functionality of the board attributes, but like, can you actually demonstrate it and feel it and then articulate what it feels like or what I should be feeling when I ride that board. And that's what gave me the idea of like, Hey, I, I feel like there's a gap that can be filled. Even if Chris kept doing what he, he was doing, Mine would be different because mine was a, I go surf and show it. So I'll talk about it and show it. Right. And I, I, I'm a visual learner personally. And so if I can see it, I'm, I'm a little bit more prone or it's ideal for me to grab hold of it and actually start doing that myself as opposed to reading it. Right. Um, or even trying to describe it in a writing. If I see it, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And so that's. Um, one of the ways that it, it, it first started. So Chris Grow was doing it before I was. And then the other thing that was super uh, important for me is I stopped surfing for like 10, 12 years. Really? Didn't surf one time. What, what happened? That's, that's fascinating. What? I just, you know, when, when, you're, when you're on the QS and the political not getting the sponsors, not getting the financial backing, and um, you poured that much of your heart into a sport and then for it to just, you're not the next Kelly Slater. And then you just flop straight on your face. Mm. I was like, kind of just bitter. We kind of just left like I need a break. Yeah. I don't think I ever lost the love for serving, but I needed a, a break from the scene and I needed to like find my marbles. Right. You know, yeah. like how am I going to provide for myself and this, my, 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 girlfriend fiance that i wanted to marry it, it, i couldn't support her um being a traveling qs surfer that didn't really get paid from anywhere you know right so um i went into golf i started playing golf and i started playing a ton of golf fell in love with that and then i started working at the golf courses so i could play for free mm -hmm. and then that's how i started to establish myself i um, took us, they have this something that's called the player's achievement test and you have to shoot like a number and you shoot 
you play 36 holes. There's no break. You, you, you eat lunch while driving the, the, the course. And I shot, I don't remember, it was like 74, 73 at Encinitas Ranch. And I passed the player's achievement test so I could start going to PGA school and get my PGA card and be an instructor. Mm-hmm. So when I left surfing, that's where I went. And had a, had a great time. I loved it. It just turned my, my love and affection of being outside in the sport from surfing to golf. And it kind of filled that gap pretty quick because golf, you can be so competitive against the golf course. Right. You could get obsessed in the same way you could get obsessed with surfing. And that's interesting. Yes. So you were, you were instructing golf as well. So I was going in that direction. Okay. Yeah. I, and, um, and so it was five hours for a round of golf or three or four hours surfing. And my wife was like, you can't do both. So you got, I was like, it's, it's one or the other. Right. And I was pretty much needing a break from surfing. So I just went into golf and I hadn't touched the board in 10, 12 years. And then when I tried to come back to getting into boards, it was all, I went and bought a CI. I bought a Flyer 2 and I bought a 6.0, like similar dims. Yeah. It had Molly. Like it didn't lead to the volume. I was probably 195 pounds at the time, almost 200 pounds. Okay. And the board was going under. I needed a masking sword just to paddle out <laughs> on the thing. <laughs> so I'm like, then it took me forever to get the volume dial. I uh, had no idea how to do that. Right. And there was no real help. So I sold that board on Craigslist. And then I started buying used boards on Craigslist. And I kept finding the guys that say, rode one time, not the right size yeah so i keep buying those boards until i had my volume dialed and then that probably took me six months to figure out yeah buying trying buying trying buying trying and selling and just keep doing it and then i finally got the the volume somewhat correct and i thought we gotta start a show yeah you know how many people are struggling with what i was struggling that that can't surf very good oh for sure and that's how the show started oh fascinating wow that's how surfing show started it, uh, you know, surface. that's no. always how the best um, stuff comes up. It's when you're solving a problem for yourself. And it, it sounds like that's exactly what happened for you. Wow. Yeah. And so the, they, they were listing volume at that point. And so you were able to dial it in. But I do want to point out something to anybody that's listening, right? Like what you were doing was really smart, though, is you were buying used boards and then yep. dialing it in, you know, because that process is going to be expensive, especially if you're doing it like over and over again. Some people right. buy new boards. They don't even know like any idea what the right volume is. And then they, you know, right. end up wasting a ton of money, but that that's sure. That's really, so what did you, what was that? I'm, I'm curious now, like what was, what was that volume versus your weight? And then what is the volume versus weight you ride now? Like, so I think at the time, I don't know, I was surfing so much now that I dropped weight. I was probably 175 pounds. Yeah. I dropped, you know, 20 pounds. And um, that was also something I had to deal with because as I was dropping weight, I was also trying to figure out what the volume would work. And then I heard somebody had a weight to volume ratio um, kind of guideline. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't, I don't remember who said it, but it was like take your weight divided by six and that will give you kind of like the volume um, an expert or pro level surfer would ride. Yeah. And so I started working on my own formula to that for myself and then helping others on YouTube dialing that and having a volume range. 
Yeah. So my point range is roughly two liters. So if I was 160 pounds, because that's how low my weight got down to, some days I was 158, other times 161 would fluctuate. And um, I weighed with um, 26 point, I think it was, if you took the 160 divided by six, it was probably in that 26 liter range. But I like my boards pretty sensitive. So I went 25 to 27. So it was a two liter range. And I tried not to draw a hard line in the sand anywhere and say, oh, my volume's 25 or my volume's 25.8 or 26 because the length of the board, the thickness of the rails, and sometimes the width of the board would play a factor. And even the rocker was a big factor for me where most people would say on your grobblers go up a liter compared to whatever your like daily driver, high performance short board because you want to make it easy to generate speed and you have to do all that on smaller waves. But what I learned over the process of dialing in my equipment was those types of boards have way less rocker. So they have a lot more get up and go speed and they have a, a different type of glide about them when you're paddling. And so as the boards got wider and shorter and they had less rocker, if I went up in volume too much, one whole liter, it just felt like my turns were delayed because the wider the board, the tighter. It's going so fast that if it's not responsive, I can't get the board to do what I want fast enough to get two or three good turns in a row. Right. So I, I actually disagree with the idea and concept of going up in volume for grovelers unless you're like lower level intermediate. Right. Because if you're trying to progress from intermediate, like an upper end intermediate to an advanced surfer, that volume could kill your transition from turn to turn. Totally. Depending on how mushy the waves. So all that, those are all factors. Yeah. But, but the bottom line for me was I found my lowest volume and the shortest board was like a five tune pod mod at like 26 liters. Yeah. I remember that pod mod review. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, man, I can't believe this actually goes good. Because mm -hmm. that was a little bit under volume because they didn't make a 5.3. It was 5.2 or 5.4. Yeah. So they didn't make that and it was grab it off the rack and go surf because I didn't have any real connections to go get customs made for any good pricing. Yeah. So that's kind of how my whole volume and everything kind of like would progress. And then I was using the same formula that I was using to help myself. To help others so every time a board review would come out someone would say hey i'm this i'm this tall i weigh this much my skill level is xyz um what do you what do you recommend for me and then i would take their weight divided by six mm -hmm. and i say okay you're intermediate okay so i would add probably two four five liters and then give them that liter range anywhere from four to six more than what the calculator would say and they're like dude this is money it's perfect yeah so that's kind of how it started to go. And it's, I think this, this process of dialing in boards is so complicated because, you know, like what you're talking about, there's obviously figuring out your weight versus the volume and what the right leader range, but then it becomes so specific based on your ability level. That's one of the things that you, you were adjusting based on, right? So lower intermediate versus like more right. beginner to advanced is going to have huge differences. And then the quality sure. of the wave, you know, like East Coast yep. waves, so different from West Coast waves versus Hawaii yep. and all these things. 
And sure. so it can be a, like a real struggle. Yeah. And it's one, well, you got shapers out there that don't like to talk volume at all. They don't yeah. want to write the volume on the, on the board. And so now we're even more in the dark. Right. 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 And, and I think that the shapers are frustrated with the volume because the extreme people that think that the only thing that matters is volume piss off the shapers when they go to order a custom. It's like, Hey, my, my volume needs to be exactly third. And they're like, not board, not all boards. They're like, I want six Oh 30 liters. Well, there's certain models that don't fit that description. And so drawing a hard line and saying, this is my leaders and making a shaper work within that parameter. Yeah. It doesn't work. No, it's, it's another dimension. It's another thing, it's right? Another it's, That's a, right? It's another dimension. So I'm actually really curious though. Oh man. <clears throat> so many questions I have for you from eight years of war testing. Okay. Let me just start with the, one of the, the original ones I have. Cause I remember you reviewed the pod mod and then you also reviewed the sampler. And I remember you really loving the sampler. I'm curious though, you know, at this point, because I, I have a sampler that I used to ride for years and years. I love that board. How Real much old. have, you know, and I also have like an Inferno 72. Like I have a newer board and I definitely feel differences. But how much do you think like surfing, surfboard design has progressed in this amount of time? Like are we, has it, it's probably, it's definitely more like evolutionary in terms of the, the progress Versus a revolutionary back in the day when you're going from like a single fin to a twin to a thruster. Sure. But like, sure. how have you noticed any like big changes in the eight years that you've been testing boards? Or has it just been like more and more refined, just getting a little bit better, you know? Yeah, I think it's more of a refinement from board design. Um, board construction on the other hand, there's been some great breakthroughs. You know, like Dark Arts, I feel like they're, they're making a, a superior carbon layup to a, you know uh, your typical EPS string of EPS phone four, um, and then you got like XDR10, which is a different phone. You've got Varial, which is a different phone. So there are innovation breakthroughs um, if you're into other types of phone or layups, and you're looking to maximize you know pop projection and drive through turns and. Like, let's see, let's talk about the sampler for a second, because I feel like that was a great board that just kind of got buried over time. Mm -hmm. Hey, everyone, it's Van. Hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. It'll only take you literally a few seconds and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So thanks where you, you have a great model that's good in this wave range. And then it's like, well, that board's been out for two years. So they kind of just bury it in the sand and it's custom only. And now we have this model. Right. And I'm not saying the models aren't different. I'm just saying you just buried a really good board. And a lot of people would really benefit from that board if it was still here in, in shops today. So I feel like the lifespan of a board model is short-lived and that's why they refine them right and call it something else yeah or they just call it two yeah 2.0 or 3.0 yeah. i mean how many have we seen like that you know i don't think there's anything wrong with that i'm all into refinement i'm not picking on the industry and i'm not picking on the board brands but i would rather them make a 2.0 than just bury the sampler right 
because the sampler's great. Such what a, a board. board. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, you didn't do us any favors by burying that. Yeah. But then why would you keep going if nobody's buying it? Right. Because it's not the it's not the latest and greatest thing that we can pour some marketing into. Yeah. It's so weird so, because <clears throat> choosing a surfboard should be this more anal I mean, it's gonna be both because it's surfing, right? But really, you should be like trying to really dial in. All right, what's the real width that works for me? The thickness, you know, the plant shape, the rocker, and all these things. Right. But really, what drives it is like you see a clip of somebody doing something sick, and then you're like, oh, I want to surf like him. <laughs> you got to go and try right. that new flavor, right? That's right. so it's like that that seesaw between making this emotional and then this logical decision that makes it fun, obviously, but it's also tricky yeah. in some ways as well. Or even, or even the. To go along with that, you might see somebody ripping or even just hear a friend that or see a friend that's riding a board and, and you know how they surf, you surf with them all the time and all of a sudden you start surfing a lot better. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's got to be the board because it's the same old, same old terms. Right. And then it's always us surfers are, are pursuing a field from a board. Right. Because you buy one and you ride it and it's gone. And you can't even pinpoint what it's not doing right to stay in the quiver yeah and we quickly throw out an expensive surfboard instead of dialing in the fits i know that's like a whole nother can of worms but if the board's tight oh i don't like that board it's tight oh i don't like that board it's slow or i don't like that it's you know it won't let me do a, a tight arcing turn but the bottom line is is did we put it through the paces to change fins to see if we could get those feelings the fin companies have been making good fins for years. The lack of education with the fins to help us uneducated surfers make better decisions on how to dial in a board. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's the value. Well, circling back just a little bit before we get to the fins, I think that's a lot of the value from seeing your surfing, right? Because you're, Everybody knows you're surfing and you're, you're so consistently good, but you can see which surf, you know, which boards really perform well on your feet. And then that's right. And maybe you're not going to surf and do the exact same terms as you are, but you can, you can get yep. a feel, okay, this is where there, it looks like there's something special under your feet. So, yeah. you know, you, you, every year you release your favorites, but what has really stood out to you over the, the, this, you know, this, these eight years, like any boards that just like really come to mind that you're like, you know, gosh, that's a kind of a true question. I get these questions a lot. Like what's your, if you could have one board, you're, stuck on, you're stranded on an island, what would it be? And my <laughs> question would be, what are the waves on the highland like? Let's say small waves, you know, just like your it's normal, not... you know, let's say small wave performance board. Okay. That's what we're going to say. Okay. So performance board means it has a performance outline. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I really like twin fits. If I wasn't doing the show, I would probably only be writing twin fits. Because they're so fast, they're super fun, and they just draw, like, if you're on a good twin fin, they can draw almost as good a line as a thruster, but way faster. Mm. So a lot of the twins or twin plus trailers are just super fun. But on a, a smaller wave performance board, one board that I, I've ridden at, like, Kelly's Pool, I rode at Waco recently, and I've ridden um, in the ocean in small, fun surf. And then I've ridden in overhead. And the board is, I, I don't know that it's not on everybody's radar, but it's one of my all-time favorites. 
the Fireware Dominator 2. It's incredible as a quad. And then the Twin Plus Trailer's next level. Thruster Sosa for me. Okay. But quad and uh, Twin Plus Trailer, wow. Hmm. The board has wow factor for me. It catches waves easy, carries good speed, turns on a dime. And I'm just like, that, that board, I don't, they should never do away with that board. That's so interesting because... I remember you were testing that board versus, you know, the Inferno, which I ended up getting in a bunch of other boards. And it's it was shorter. I think you were riding like a 5.4 almost. 5.4. It, it was shorter, but then it was wider as well than right. a lot of those other boards. Right. You know, and that was one of my questions for you. Like, as you're dialing in your boards, one of the things that I've struggled with in some ways is like, you know, that width versus, Game you know, like I know my dims. I mean, I know my volume. But you're trying to make this decision between like the length versus the width and the thickness. And there's all these trade-offs. Like, how do you think right. about those? And the Dominator 2 is shorter, it's wider, and it turned out to be your favorite. You know, so how do you think about, you know, dialing in those variables? Well, the problem with, I'll tell you, I, I, just, I just gave the Dominator 2 like incredible pros. However, I kind of got stuck right in the 5.4. Because Fireware doesn't do anything custom, and they didn't make a 5.5 five. Uh. stock. So it went 5.4, 5.6, and the 5.6 is way outside my leader range. And I don't want to ride a longer board because it's going to draw out on my turns and make everything delayed, and I'll get one good turn, and then I'll have one bad turn, and then another good turn, and another bad turn, because I can't make that much volume and everything fit the way I want fast enough because the board's going to fill quarter. So the trade-off for me is always, how do you like your board? Do you like, some guys like a little bit more foam. I remember talking to um, Daniel Thompson. He's like, hey, you could totally ride this board one size up than what you're riding and muscle it around. I'm like, I don't want to muscle it around. Because when I muscle around, I'm going to lose flow. I'm going to lose sensitivity. It's not that I can't. It's just not who I am. It's not what I like. Right. So then it becomes personal. It's not that he's not right. It's just that's not who I am. And if you see me muscle a board around, you're going to say, that board looks horrible on Noel because you all know how I surf. Right. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Totally. So I think it's like if you're going to add width, thickness, and length, you're going to delay all your turns. And when you're in that advanced expert pro and you're in those um, tiers as a surfer and you're trying to progress and get better, all that stuff will hurt you. Let's say, though, that you, you know your length, right? You know the length that you want, and you're trying to decide between width and thickness. How do okay, so are we still on the small weight board? Yeah, so let's say the small okay. weight board. Okay, so if we have, we know that the length is let's say five five and then the width you're not sure if you need to make an adjustment to ordering a custom do you adjust in width or thickness okay so this is where i go what kind of wave is it for is it mushy and am i trying to pop to my feet and get down the line as fast as possible because if that's the case i'm going to need to add a little more width because i need um, surface area for planing speed. Yeah, right. And and if the board has lower rocker, then the width should give me enough planing speed to get down the line on most models 
and then keeping it thinner and being able to bury that rail real quick when I have all that speed, it'd be one thing I'm thinking about because I wouldn't even be writing that board as a PU poly. I would only write that as an EPS epoxy. So once I have that speed, I'm going to want to bury that board as quick as I, as I can. So the rail thickness matters to me. For sure. Right? So on smaller, mushier waves, nine times out of 10, I will adjust width over thickness. Mm. Now, if it's a high-performance shortboard, I'll adjust um, thickness and maybe like a 16th of an inch in width. Hmm. Don't want to go too far because I want that high-performance shortboard to be easy to get on a rail. I want to utilize that rocker to my advantage, right? And that's what makes a high-performance shortboard squirt is putting it on rail. And the wider the board gets, the harder it is to get on rail. And that's why they put V and they do all these things on those smaller boards to help them roll over. Right. Well, I just think it's so interesting because, you know, all those boards, the Dominator 2, the Sharp Eye, you had a couple other boards in there. They all kind of fit in that same category of small wave performance right. board. But mm -hmm. the Dominator 2 dimensions are so far out there versus all these other boards. The other boards were more right. like your traditional, you know, kind yeah. of more full volume short boards. And then the Dominator 2 right. actually is almost more hybridy in some ways. But then right. that's the one that became your favorite. So I thought that was interesting. That was my favorite. I liked it the best. I feel like in the pool testing at Kelly's, I thought the Inferno 72 was throwing more water. And both the other boards that were longer did better tube writing than the Dominator 2 because it got squirrely in the barrel. It was so fast and hard to control too. So there were, you know, pros and cons to it. But in the end, when I'm looking at the footage and what I want the board to feel like and look like underfoot, I chose Dominator 2. But I could see people wanting to argue with me about what they thought looked better on me. Some people like more real life. That's great. You can argue until you're blue in the face with me, with me, but this is about what it feels like and what I want to surf. Yeah. It's so personal. It's my opinion. Yeah. My opinion is the only one that matters because I'm the one writing the board. <laughs> do you get you actually, know, you know do people actually like argue with you, like extended on the comments? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. People are like, bro, you're writing, that board's way too short for you. That board, that board looks like crap. It, it's way too short and it's like a favorite. I'm like, that's fine. You know, it's like, oh, you should be riding like a 5.9 or a 5.10. I'm like, bro, I will never ride that again. That's so funny. I never want to ride a board taller than me <laughs> unless I'm at like sunsets. I'll place that, you know, dictates right. a longer board. Right, right. You know? Interesting. So it's just not fun for me anymore. Yeah. Well, so I guess what's interesting is, okay, well, you have, it, it does sound like you develop clear preferences in terms of like the dims that you like over these past eight years, because you, you can try anything. You've, you've experienced like every single flavor and you're finally, it does sound like you're zeroing in like, okay, this is the flavor that I like. So, yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. How, um, so you change boards so often. Is mm -hmm. that what you recommend like a regular everyday surfer to do? You know, it's, it's really, really hard to change boards all the time. And as soon as I get the board feeling exactly the way I want, it's time to change from a thruster to a quad or from a quad to a twin plus trailer. So, and then it starts all over again. So, you know, I wouldn't say it's the best thing for a surfer to do. 
is the switchboards because there's this um a time in transition to adjust to every ward yeah we all and it happens i mean it happens to me i won't speak for everybody but it takes it takes time so you'll if you ever see me out there and i'm transitioning i've had friends like board that that board looks like crap on me i'm like bro i just got on it i was riding a five two this board's like five seven give me a chance to like adjust because they're already writing the board off yeah because they're watching me flounder i'm like <laughs> i'm a human being bro it's like give it time <laughs> Yeah. Give me like at least five, 10 waves to just settle my feet in and try and work this out a little bit, you know? So it's hard. And I think it, if you, if a surfer were to do that, it would make them a better surfer over time, mm-hmm. but it's frustrating, you know? And then I don't know if, if you're a intermediate surfer, that might, that might be really hard for you to ever progress into an advanced surfer. But I think when you get into the upper end, advanced expert pros, like I think it's good to do that. I think that's how you learn how to use your rails more. I got I just recently got on a single fin and rode that at Waco. Single fin at a Waco. Fin. <laughs> the footage is pretty mind blowing. Is it good? I've never I yeah. Really? I've never ridden a single fin before. <laughs> wow. I like my mind was blown. I like the shaper just brought it to the pool. Duke Ipa made me one, and he's like, "I made this for you." I'm like, "Really? A single <laughs> thing at the pool? You want me to write that?" And everybody's like scratching their head, like, "This is going to be a complete disaster." Oh man! And then the first way it went by, and it went really well, and everybody was like, "Okay, we'll not go backside though." And backside went better than frontside. Wow! So I don't know. I mean, in the end, I think he just. If you're a, a guy that wants to build a quiver and you have a three-board quiver or a six-board quiver or a two-board quiver, there's always that transition from board to board that's tough. But once you get it yeah, and you, and you get it dialed, I think the, the hard thing is to never um, lock your mind up to where you can't switch boards. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's it good to do that. Yeah. What about going, let's say you're more like on the beginner, advanced beginner or lower intermediate side and you're trying to progress to more, you know, advanced intermediate. Is it important Stick to switch to up boards, board. cha- get your volume down? Board. Go ahead. Sorry. Stick to one board. More or less that intermediate that's um, trying to go to the upper end intermediate. I feel like there's a lower level intermediate, intermediate solid than the upper end intermediate, intermediate where you're trying to crack that low level advanced, you know? So... You know, getting used to a board, knowing that board, getting accustomed to that board, and, and knowing all of its like little nuances, that's how you get good. That's how you get good. Get used to it. And then when you beat that board up, you got to start all over again. Yeah, got it. And so you mentioned also the, the wave pool. What's that been like? Because you have the same canvas every time and... It must be a trip to like dial in your surfing. How much better has your surfing been like since you started having the wave pool to practice at? You know, Waco's been super fun. I mean, such a fun, punchy, fast little wave. And, um, you know, coming from the point breaks of Southern California into this fast, man, I, I feel like it's making my quick twitch reflexes a little bit sharper again. I'm 51 years old. I just turned 51. And so I, 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 and I had full hip replacement surgery May 4th of 2022 last year. Oh man. So, you know, to get into the pool and for it to be quick like that, and it gets super dumpy inside on that shallow concrete, 
yeah, it's, it's challenging, you know, but like you're mentioning, it has that repetition. So getting the timing and, and I feel like, yeah, it's making me a better surfer. And writing that single fin at Waco, I, I learned quickly that the only way to write a single fin is to keep it on rail. Mm. Don't let that board sit idle in a flat position because it's going to lose its speed compared to a thruster or a 20, you know. So learning to use my rails better was a big deal. And the pools helped me do that. Interesting. I will, I think anybody watching your surfing from, you know, when you're surfing in the ocean would be like, you're already a pro at using your rails, but that's interesting that the, the wave pool would force you to do so even more actually. Well, the transition's just faster. Yeah. So how do you get everything to fit in those tight transitions quicker, you know, doing a roundhouse and then trying to get vertical on the rebound and it's fast. It all happens so quick. Yeah. I've surfed it a couple of times. To be, yeah. I've, yeah. Oh, you have. Yeah, I have. Yeah. It is so fun. I just love how steep and cuppy it is. And yeah. it's, but it is so fast. You're right. It is really fast. It's the whole experience of it is weird too. Cause you're just like, just waiting there. And then, you know, like the way you take off is kind of weird. And then it just goes by in an instant. There's no, there's not as the same amount of time to set up compared to certain kinds of waves, you know? Right. Um, but it was interesting cause I interviewed Matt Miola and he was talking about how, if he was going to try, or if he was giving somebody advice on how to practice airs, he was like, go to Waco and just like get a hundred reps in there. And I, I would assume that'd be the same for anybody that's trying to practice doing turns or whatever maneuver you're working on, you know? Absolutely. That'd be the way to do it. Wow. Yeah. Repetition's key. I mean, you know, I, I like what Matt's saying is get someplace that's going to throw a section at you the same every time or roughly close to the same because that's the only way to get good. And the pools are the first place that you could actually do that. Yeah. So any other advice that you'd give to surfers that are trying to improve, right? So obviously one, one piece of it is going to be dialing in your equipment. Obviously you could also go to Waco and just, uh, surf your brains out though. It's kind of hard to yeah. get the reservations to line up perfectly and all that. But any, any other tips that you'd give to folks? I think, I think getting on a surf skate and, and doing some concrete surfing is, um, vital to, um, progress in your surfing for sure. I mean, the, the movements are very similar. Um, I wish there were more surf skates that had, um, trucks that you generated the speed from the back truck and maybe a little bit less from the front truck. So there are different surf skates that will help you achieve that. I really like uh, one particular surf skate. Mine is the slide. It's, I think it's out of Europe and it feels a lot like surfing because you're engaging back truck and front truck. And for me on the concrete, I mean, hand position, proper technique, body mechanics, looking first and then and then the head and leads and then the shoulders and hips and everything, it all is the same. And I feel like if surfers put in at least five to 10 minutes a day on this, on, on the concrete, they would see small increment progress in their surfing on water. Yeah. As long as the technique is proper. Right. Although you, I think that that would be the important thing, right? Because you could have the wrong technique and drill the, the wrong sort of technique into your right. muscle memory. Um, actually when I was talking to Magnum, he was talking about that, but you, I know that you have a, a course or it's a, your Patreon, right? Where you go into yeah, a lot of that. We do a Patreon and everything that we do is like, we focus on one maneuver and we'll do, you know, two things at one time. We get out on 
some sort of surf ski and we get some cones out and we just practice repetition on the concrete. Yeah. You know, not all of us get enough water time. Yeah. There's tons of landlocked surfers out there and this sounds like the perfect way to get your reps in. Yeah. Sure. Wow. Okay. So dial in your boards, get on your surf skate and, um, yep. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I think we'll, uh, wrap up, uh, start to work towards wrapping up any, um, last things you want to shout out to or last I think, bit of I advice think or whatever. My last bit of advice I think would be if I could give anything away, like in all of my, um, experimenting and, and testing and knowledge as a coach to give to a student that I think one of the most important things, I, I don't know if it's foot placement for precise turns it's super important and moving your feet around, but learning the basic fundamentals of compress and extend mm-hmm. to generate speed through turns. Got it. That, that is the number one thing. For sure. If you can learn how to compress and extend and generate speed, your surfing will grow exponentially. Because speed is everything. 100%. And it has to do with your rails. So, you know, that's that's one thing. I mean, giving away the knowledge of all the board testing, that's what I do every day. I answer questions on multiple platforms to help people around the world because that's what kind of platform YouTube is. But I think the, um, all of us are after the right equipment, but in the end, it's hardly ever the board's fault that we're not progressing. It's our lack of proper technique and body mechanics. And so if I could just give away one thing, I would say, get your compress and extend, understand what it takes to generate speed, go skate a half pipe and start in the middle and learn what it means to pump on a half pipe. And then you'll have a good idea of the concept of compress extend. All right. Wise words. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Van. It was awesome. Hey, everyone. It's Van. Hopefully, you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully, you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. It'll only take you literally a few seconds and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So thanks.